<laughs> How are you guys? Good? You're a little quiet. It's okay. I'll get you going. I promise. That's my job. I'm the kids pastor. My name is Sarah Escamilla, and my job is to teach and get kids excited about learning from the scriptures. And so I'm super pumped that you're here today. If it's your very first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. We love you, and we're excited that you are looking for a local church or looking for that next step in your relationship with God. And you have joined us on a great week. We are wrapping up this response series where we've been looking at how we are to respond to some of the challenging teachings and and challenges that Jesus gave while he was in his earthly ministry. And what I have to share with you today, I'm I'm really excited about, honestly, because I've been studying this for a while on my own. In fact, when Aaron threw this out to the staff and was like, hey, you know, thoughts on this? And I was like, me, 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 I have a thought. (laughs) He's like, do you want to teach that? And I was like, oh, sure, why not? What I did not know up front is that today would be the day that our oldest son headed back to Marines, to the Marines. Um, So if I'm a little... A little out of it, distracted, teary, or my nose gets a little red. It's just in my blood. Um, We don't know when we're going to get to see Josiah again, so keep him in your prayers as he's out there serving and training and and doing what the Marine Corps does. We're not a military family, so uh, I applaud those of you, (laughs) thank you, who are in the military, have served in the military, and have some of you who've who've given your kids and your spouse to the military service, because it's it's a really noble thing, and we're getting used to this new system. So Anyway, uh, today what we're talking about is the cost of following Jesus, the cost of following Jesus, and and this is near and dear to my heart, Um, and I want to just challenge you this morning, if you're here and you've been following Jesus for a long time, you've been in church for a long time, um, to regardless, open up your heart and your mind today to hear what Jesus has to say to you. And if you're here today and you, you're not a follower of Jesus or you don't really know what that means and you're, you're trying to do your best, but you, you're not really clear on that, same challenge to you. Let's open up our hearts and our minds today because I do really believe that God has something he wants to speak to each and every one of us individually. And we're going to hang out in the Gospels a lot today, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the books of the Bible that talk about the life of Jesus. And, um, and I encourage you to look for yourselves in the stories. Okay, when we're reading, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit between different books, don't get too caught up in the references, okay? But, but listen for your voice. Listen for things you would say or things that you would do. Uh, and, and listen to how Jesus responds because, again, there's something really powerful that, that we have to hear today from the Spirit of God. You're not here on accident. God has a purpose and a plan to every single thing that he does, and so I know that God wants to speak to you today. Are you with me? Open. All right, Um, so a little bit about me. Some of you guys know me better than others. Um, I am the pastor's wife, uh, as well as being the the kid's pastor. So I'm married to Pastor Aaron, and I have been in the church really most of my life. My parents were pastors when I was younger, um, and so I was like the typical old school cut my teeth on the wood pew girl, um, you know, on Sunday nights, you fall asleep underneath the pew because you're so tired and you've been there all day. Um, My, actually, my first house was actually attached to the church, so. That's how close I was to the church. Um, But actually, around my sixth grade year, my father ended up becoming addicted to prescription medications. He quit the ministry, and my life got a little bit chaotic really quick. Um, And so I, by nature, am a planner. 
I love to research, I love to know what I'm doing, I love to study things, and I like to plan things out. Uh, it has, it's been the way that I dealt with chaos in my life, and so no surprise that when I was a teenager, I was the only kid that I knew who had a planner. Does anyone remember what an actual planner was back in the day, like a little binder, and you bought the inserts every year that you had to stick in there? The kids are like, not I, Cal, nothing electronic. I lived by that thing, okay? If it wasn't in my planner, it didn't exist. I planned everything out, my days, my years, and I had my life plan figured out, not unlike my daughter. Uh, I had studied medicine from the time I was a kid. I knew I wanted to be a physician. I, um, by my senior year, had already applied to my favorite college. I was accepted. I had my scholarships. I put my deposit down. I was rooming with my best friend from high school. I had it all planned. And then Jesus. <laughs> um, I had recently, my senior year, I'd recommitted my life to Christ. I was trying to figure out what faith looked like. And honestly, it was a little bit of a struggle for me um, because I just didn't feel connected to a local church. Uh, I never had the right clothes to wear. Uh, I never knew the songs they were singing. Uh, people side-eyed me like, Oh, really? You're not wearing pantyhose. You know, I mean, it was that day and time. And I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. But I also knew that being a part of a local church was a really important part of me growing in my relationship with God. And so as a young teenager, I was trying to reconcile these things together. And senior year, one day, I'm like, that's it. I just I'm put on my nicest dress. I'm going to go into this church that I had attended years ago with my parents a couple of times. And I don't remember the songs we sang. I don't remember the passage of scripture the preacher preached from. But I do remember really clearly that I, I was sitting right about there. And uh, I remember that at the altar, the, the pastor was challenging us to follow Jesus wherever he would lead us, to commit our lives to him fully and not hold anything back. And so during the altar call, I closed my eyes, I bowed my head, you know, like a good church girl. And I just prayed a simple prayer of promise to Jesus. God, I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I don't want to hold anything back from you. And when I opened my eyes, it did not take Jesus long to cash in on my promise <laughs> because I flipped over the little pamphlet that they'd given us that day, and on the back was an advertisement for a Bible college in Texas. I live in Illinois at the time. And I clearly hear Jesus go, that's your next step. Excuse me? <laughs> First of all, I was very anti-Bible college, okay? I was not going into ministry. I was not going anywhere near a Bible school. Uh, my parents went to Bible school, and their lives were looking a little rough at the time. So I'm like, I'm staying far away from that world. I will follow you, Jesus, but not there. But I knew, man, I knew what he was telling me to do. So what I did next surprised even me, I withdrew my application from my school. I applied to Southwestern Assemblies of God University in Waxahachie, Texas, where I'd never been before. I made plans to arrive three months later. I had no idea what I was doing. I had been to Texas once in my life. I didn't know anyone on this campus. I'd never visited the campus. <laughs> I didn't even know how I was going to pay for it, but I knew, like, deep in my bones that this was something that Jesus was telling me to do. And I, I knew, and maybe you've had this experience, I knew this was going to be a moment that I looked back on for the rest of my life as a turning point. They didn't have pre-med at SAGU, so that meant a pivotal change in my plan. But I knew that if I followed Jesus, it would all work itself out. And, and that's just 
part of following Jesus, right, is pivoting and going with the flow. And I would love to tell you that now, years later, decades have gone by, and I follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And that was a big risk, that I took risks every time he told me to. But the truth is, I struggle with this still. And there's a reason that all of us struggle, because following Jesus never gets easy. You never hit like a smooth road where you're like, oh, okay, I've made it. I'm sailing, Lord. There's nothing you're going to ask me to do that isn't. Because following Jesus always costs us. It's always costly to us. And we're going to find that today in Scripture, even that if you're following Jesus and it's not costing you anything, I would challenge you that you're not really following him. Because following him, it always costs us something. So let's go to the scriptures. Let's see what the scriptures have to say about this. And so if you have a Bible in the room, pull that out. You have your phone, your smart device. If you don't have a Bible, there's some all over under the seats. But every single one of us, let's engage with scripture. We, we know that scripture shapes our lives. We want to allow it to speak into us. So individually, let's engage with these scriptures. And we're turning to the book of Luke, starting in chapter 14, verses 25 through 30. Luke 14 25 through 30, and this is what it says. Now great crowds accompanied him, him being Jesus, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So Jesus has been ministering for a while here. Um, He's been healing people. People are seeing these miracles following him. And so there's a crowd that's starting to follow him everywhere that he goes. He's getting popular, okay? And Jesus, he he turns to the crowd and he gives them a pretty stern challenge here. And I want to clarify, he's, he's not trying to drive people away here, but he's trying to convey to them that they may not realize what they're signing up for by following him. Jesus says to them what he says to us today. He says, count the cost. Count the cost. Before you sign up to follow me, before you say, hey, I'm a Christian, Count the cost because it is going to cost you. He's not hiding it. He's not trying to trick anybody. He's very upfront with the fact that following Jesus is going to cost us something. Because just because we do some of the things Jesus did or go some of the places Jesus will go does not mean we're following him. Following him costs us something. First, he says, verse 26, it will cost you relationally. Following Jesus will cost you relationally. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So is Jesus really saying that you have to hate your family? Some of you are like, yes, that was the excuse I was looking for. I'm going home to tell my family. I have biblical reason to hate you. No, that is not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that it may appear as hate to some of the people in your lives when you put Jesus first. Because when you start putting Jesus first, it might take you places your family never thought you would go. It might look like not doing some things that your family has done for generations. 
It might even mean breaking off some relationships because Jesus comes first. And that might seem very hateful to some of the people in your family. But if you're not willing to put Jesus before every other person in your life, I guarantee you, you will quit. You will quit. Because Jesus has to come first. He's first or he's not on the list. That's just it. And I know I experienced this firsthand. When I first went to Sagu, I came back from my first fall break, and I have four sisters. One of them I had been really close to. She and I were pretty close in age, and we have been pretty tight. And I got home from my break, and she was just irritated with me. She was hateful and just wasn't wanting to hang out with me. And finally I was like, hey, what's, what's going on? What did I do? Did I say something to you? Did I offend you? And she's like, I don't even know who you are anymore. You pick up and you go to some Bible college in Texas. You come home talking about the Bible and Jesus and church and all this stuff. I don't know you. I don't really want to be around you. And holy cow, man, that cut me to the core. Because I just, I didn't anticipate it. I didn't think about the cost of what following Jesus would cost me. But it does cost us relationally, you guys. It'll cost you relationships in your life. And it hurts, and Jesus isn't saying that it won't, but he's saying it's worth it. You put me first, I'm worth it, I promise. It also will cost us physically. Following Jesus will cost us physically. Verse 27 says, whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross is this beautiful symbol today, but the cross back then was this symbol of suffering, of torment, of torture. Not just physically, but emotionally, what Jesus went through on the cross, rejected, taking upon him the sin of all of the world. And Jesus says to us, hey, we have to be willing to pick up that physical and emotional pain and suffering that he places in our lives. That's hard. That is hard. Because a lot of us, we come to Jesus and we're like, sweet, my life's going to get easier. Oh, no. <laughs> following Jesus is actually a guarantee of pain because if we're following someone who took all the pain and suffering of the world upon him, I guarantee you he's going to challenge you to carry some of that load. He's going to. It's a guarantee. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, our bodies, when we come to Jesus, they don't belong to us anymore. They belong to him. And our bodies have this incredible purpose that I can't quite even wrap my mind around, that in the Old Testament you see the temple and this glory of God and how powerful it is. Our bodies now hold the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, everywhere that we go. That's the purpose of your body. So when we choose to follow Jesus, we treat our bodies differently. We go where God wants us to go. It might take us places we didn't think he would ever lead us. We treat our bodies with respect because we realize that they are an important part of our ministry. We may even suffer physical persecution because of our following Jesus. I found this quote this week, and I thought it was so important because, you know, the, the world is shifting. And it's no longer just that Christians might be slightly ostracized or pushed to the side, but that people actually look down on us. It's not far off that eventually it could be illegal to speak some of the truth from scriptures on this platform. 
So this quote says, as the risks rise for followers of Jesus, and don't kid yourself, they're rising, the once large crowds may disperse, but genuine, joy-filled faith will rise. Those who follow Jesus for the wrong reasons will inevitably fall away, not willing to bear any cross heavier than the one around their necks. Jesus, let that never be true of us. Following Jesus will cost you physically. It will cost you physical and emotional struggle. It will. So let's say we've counted that cost, okay? And we want to follow Jesus still, <laughs> which is a worthy thing. What does it actually mean to follow Jesus? What does this look like? Well, I'm glad you asked because I've spent some time looking into the scriptures about this. And we're going to start in a place where it seems that Jesus was very clear and shows us some pictures of what following him is not. So that's where we're going to start. This is what following Jesus is not supposed to look like. So turn just a couple pages back to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, just a little bit earlier than where we were before. And a few different people decide to follow Jesus, and Jesus has some recommendations for them. So let's read these. Starting in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those back at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Following Jesus is not first comfortable. Following Jesus is not comfortable. And some of you might grin because you're like, oh, yes, I have learned this. Start verses 57 and 58 when Jesus says to the man, hey, I, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but if you're following after me, you might not have a place to lay your head. You might not have a physical home here on earth. You might have to give up some of the niceties, the things that we consider needs in our daily lives in order to follow after Jesus. And what's interesting is if you look back at the followers of Jesus, most of the time Jesus calls them first. Jesus says, follow me, and they follow. This guy doesn't wait to be invited. He's like, I'm all in. Like, Jesus, I'm here. And maybe he's super excited. Like some of you know the feeling like when you're in a really great service, particularly if it's a great worship band at some third-party venue, and there's thousands of people and everybody's singing, and you're like, yes! Like, I would give anything for Jesus right now. And then you walk out, and tomorrow, it's a little bit harder to follow through on the promises we made Jesus yesterday. So maybe that's where this guy is. Maybe he's just an overachiever. I don't know. But he volunteers to sign up. And here's what we do know about him. He did not understand the commitment that he was about to make because he walks away. Jesus reminds him, he reminds us, that committing to follow Jesus is when the hard part begins. Committing to follow Jesus is when the hard part begins. That's not when it gets easy. That's the hard part. When we get up from the altar and we walk out and have to start shifting things, that's where the hard part comes. When we have to let some things go, that's when the hard part begins. So following Jesus, it always means leaving something. You're going to have to leave things behind to follow him. And most often, we're leaving behind comfort, things that we know. 
the places that we know, the people that we know, the things that we know. Because following Jesus, it's not comfortable. Second, following Jesus is not about rules. Verses 59 and 60, he says, follow me. The guy says, well, let me go bury my father first. And Jesus says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, let me clarify here because I, I did look this up. Uh, this was not like his father had died and he had to go home and have a funeral. This was, my father is in the process of dying and I need to go home and take care of him until he passes away and take care of all those things and get all the estate stuff in order. And do you see where this is going? So this man is allowing obligation and expectations to come between him and Jesus. And man, that's easy to do. It's really easy to do. And it's not that what he wanted was unreasonable. It's just that it was driven from the wrong place. He wasn't walking in obedience and trusting Jesus, that Jesus had what was best in mind. He felt like his list of priorities was important enough to mention. And this is the thing, is followers of Jesus, we don't, we don't try to fit Jesus into our current list of priorities. We don't come to this altar and say, okay, Jesus, I'm yours, and then go home and say, okay, so where can I fit him in? That's not how this works. Jesus becomes our highest priority. He becomes this lens that we see our entire lives through. Our loyalty is only to him and him alone. I, I when I think about this, when I think about rules, think of manuals because <clears throat> I'm a bit of a nerd if you have not picked that up. I love manuals. The very first car Aaron and I ever bought together, he made so much fun of me because the first thing I did when I got in the passenger seat was pull out that car manual and read it. I just think that if you know you have something, you should know everything about it, right? So I love manuals. So when I first got pregnant with my first kiddo, Josiah, I was determined to know everything I could possibly know about pregnancy. And thankfully, at that time, there was a manual in existence called What to Expect when you're expecting. Anybody? Anybody? 70s, 80s, 90s kids? All right, all right. Okay, and this thing walked you through like week by week. Here's what's happening with your body. Here's what's happening with your baby. It was fantastic. What it did not do, however, was prepare me in any way or give any instruction about what would happen after the baby came into the world. How do you teach a baby to sleep? How do you operate on two hours of sleep? How do you survive and get anything done when you have an infant who needs you 24 hours a day? There is no manual for parenting. I remember sitting, looking at infant Josiah, who would only sleep with a pacifier in his mouth, thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing, Jesus. I need a manual. Just give me something, some parenting book that will provide all the answers. But that's just not how parenting works, right? If you didn't know that, you're welcome. That's not how parenting works. That's not how life works. It's not how Jesus works. Jesus doesn't give you a manual to follow and say, go check your boxes and you're going to be good. He gives you himself to lead you, to guide you. It's not a map. It's a guide. It's a hand. It's someone who knows the way in front of you and will walk with you every single day showing you what to do. Following Jesus is not about rules. It's not about rules. Third, Following Jesus is not on our terms. Oh, how we would love it to be. Verses 61 to 62. Another says, hey, I'll follow you, but uh, first let me go do what I need to do. Say goodbye to everybody, have a little party, throw some balloons up. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This guy wants to follow Jesus. He just wants to do it his own way. And this is the issue, guys, is there's no negotiating with Jesus. There's no, 
Um, okay, Jesus, so I'm cool with following you as long as it doesn't only cost me this much, but you go above that and I'm out, not interested in you anymore. Can you imagine going into a marriage that way? Hey, I'll stay married to you as long as this is all met. Here's my list of expectations. And if those aren't met, then I'm out. You can probably think of some people who live that way. That's not how a relationship with Jesus works. That's not how following Jesus works. We don't come to him with our list of terms and expectations. You can't sign up for 70% of Jesus and then leave the rest on the table. You're either all in or you're not in. There is no in between. When I was a teenager, the preachers would say this, you can't straddle the fence. You can't straddle the fence. You can't have one leg in the world and one leg in the kingdom. Their point was accurate. You're either all in or you're not in at all. There is no halfway with Jesus. Either he has all of you or he has none of you. We can't come in on our own terms and dictate how we're going to follow him. That's just not how it works. Following Jesus is not on our terms. And fourth, it's not about appearances. Oh, man. Matthew, we're going to jump over to Matthew chapter 19, the story of the rich young ruler Behold, a man, a man came to Jesus saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who's good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he says to him, Well, which, which ones, which commandments should I follow? And Jesus says, Well, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness on your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the young rich man says, All right, I've kept all these. So what, what am I missing? Give me some more boxes to check. And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go sell everything you own, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now on the outside, this guy looked like a disciple. He had all the right boxes checked. He was doing all the right things. But Jesus cuts right through to the core of the problem, and that is that his treasure had his heart. Jesus didn't have his heart. And I, I've seen this. It's bothered me for a long, long time. Aaron and I were young pastors when we first kind of saw this firsthand. And we had this couple in our church. We were youth pastors, and they were on our youth leader team. And, man, everything looked great on the outside. They came to church all the time. They prayed. They worshiped. They tithed. They served. They had students over to their home. Everything seemed great, but... You ever just get that feeling like something's off? But I could never put my finger on it. Like there's nothing externally that appears off. Two years later, they're divorced. She's an alcoholic. Their lives fall apart. They're not in church anymore. They're not following Jesus anymore. What happened? When you see this happen, you know, you know, man, they were checking the boxes, but their heart was not in it. Because following Jesus is not about appearances. In fact, let me just say this. This is one of the first things that I fell in love with about this church. Is when we came to visit, I was like, man, nobody here is afraid to say what they're struggling with. They're not afraid to say, I don't have it all together. It's not about appearances. It's about needing Jesus all day, every day, because there's no way I'm ever going to be able to keep up appearances with Jesus. Absolutely no way. Following Jesus is not about appearances. And I would, I would challenge you today to ask, what is your heart loyal to? 
what is off the table between you and Jesus? What is the thing, the person, that if Jesus told you to give that up, you'd say no? Because that is what's between you and him. Anytime we have something off the table with Jesus, don't be surprised that your faith doesn't seem to be working very well. That you come to church and you're like, oh man, I just don't connect in the worship. And oh man, I don't really hear anything in the messages. And it's just not working anymore. Well, you stopped listening to Jesus. Don't expect to come into a corporate setting and his voice be any stronger or louder than it is when you're outside of here and he's talking to you about something. When anything comes between you and Jesus, your career, your job, your money, your house, your kids, if you can't let them go, it's between you and Jesus. And it's going to keep you from being fully following him all day, every single day. So that's what following Jesus is not. What is following Jesus then? Well, it's two very simple things that I think often we like to overcomplicate because we do like our rules. We like our law. We like our list to check boxes, right? But really following Jesus is about two things, faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. And in fact, if you have a coin, because I want you to think about this as two sides of coins. If you have a coin, or ladies, you have coins in your purse, pull out a coin and look at it, hold it in your hand, because, you know, a coin looks different on each side. You can't have one side without the other. Half of a coin is worthless, right? And this is how faith and obedience work. You can't have one without the other. We have, we obey because we have faith. We believe God is on our side. We believe God is good. We have faith in him, so we obey out of that faith, right? That comes fairly naturally to us, but the second, the other side, particularly I would say in the Western church, is a struggle for us, and that is this, that we have faith because we obey. We have faith because we obey. Because what happens in your life when things aren't going so great and you don't know for sure that Jesus has your best in mind and you're struggling in your faith, Jesus is challenging you to do something and you don't see the goodness in it. You, you don't. You know, my mentor likes to say that everyone says they want to live like Jesus and usually they mean they want to live the three years of public ministry that he had, not the 30 years of quiet obedience that he lived. And that's because, just like that iceberg picture that was up here earlier, the bulk of what strengthens our faith in our lives is quiet and unseen obedience to Christ, particularly when we don't feel it. I was reading about trees, you know, this is what you do. My kids make fun of me all the time because I read articles all the time. But trees kind of fascinate me. And, and I read this and I thought, oh gosh, this is... Did you know that studies have shown that roots spread four to seven times the diameter of the tree that you see. That a tree that you see, its roots extend four to seven times deeper and wider than that. That's what obedience does in our lives. It digs this deep, strong faith when we obey, even when we don't believe, even when we struggle to believe. And those roots, that's what holds us strong when winds come and storms blow and we don't know if we can hold on. It's all those years. Think of Jesus, 30 years, unseen. He was a follower well before he was a leader. How many of us can say that? We follow 30 years quietly, unseen. But that's what Jesus did. He set that example for us. 
And many of us, we're, we're really great at feeding and nurturing the roots that people see. But man, when it's unseen and Jesus tells us to do something and nobody's going to see it, it's harder. That's when it matters the most. I want to close with a, a section of this book that I've been reading. If, if you're not familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it looks like Bonhoeffer. He was a German theologian, pastor during World War II. Um, his biography is fascinating. Um, but his, his view of Jesus and of theology and of scripture is just really interesting. And if you read him, it's like you'd think he was writing to our culture right now, but he was writing about the church way back then. But I was reading this, and he talks about the difference between costly grace and cheap grace. And what he's saying to the church then is, hey, you're selling Jesus short to people. You're not telling them up front what it's going to cost them to follow. And I just thought this was too good for me to try to even put in my own words, so I'm just going to read it to you. It says this, Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Ouch. How many of us like to get disciplined by our pastors or by our fellow church members? Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus. Costly grace, it's the treasure that's hidden in the field, and for the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out his eye that causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets, all that is comfortable to him, and follows Jesus. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It's costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies this sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price and what has cost God must, must and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Following Jesus, it's going to cost us everything. I realize that's not an attractive plea. I think Jesus knew it wasn't that attractive either, and that's why he emphasized this so much during his ministry on earth. Because before we come to the altar, before we come to Jesus and really say we're giving him everything, we need to count the cost of what it's really going to cost us. I've seen firsthand what happens when people half-heartedly commit to Jesus. Maybe you have too. They seem really excited at first. And then the excitement wears off. And it's like a vaccine to Christianity. They think, I tried it, didn't work for me, I'm done. We need to be really clear and upfront that following Jesus is gonna cost us everything, but it also gives us everything that our hearts could ever long for. 
1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. Following Jesus will be a struggle. There will be times you don't see it, but the one you follow knows you. You are known, fully known, and he sees the full picture, and he has a good plan for you. He has put everything on the line. He has given everything, every ounce of his physical body, all the emotion that he could give, all the relationship he could give because he wants to be your leader. He is a worthy person to follow. You can trust his goodness. You can trust him. And though it costs us everything, we will continue to follow after him because we know that's the only way that we will really feel fulfilled and find the things that our hearts truly long for.